You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, guys. Good morning. Glad to be with you guys this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up in John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be talking about, oh, seriously, one of the most important, I think, recorded conversations that Jesus has with another person. Um, it is the longest, by the way, recorded conversation that Jesus ever had with any other person in your Bible. Therefore, it makes it very, very important, and I think God wants us to know something about it. Uh, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, we'll move through quite a bit of the text. It's a wonderful story and narrative. Um, and it really, I, I think walking out of here, you're going to see how God's going to intervene into somebody's life that has what I would say a train wreck kind of past, and he's going to help minister to guilt and shame. Um, last night at my house, uh, we had date night, so it was just a cheap stay at home uh, date night for my wife and I. We were on the couch by eight o'clock, just hanging out, having fun. And um, I wrap up the evening with my wife, and it's time to go turn off the lights, lock the doors, do all that. It's about 10.30 at night now. And so I turn off the lights, and then all of a sudden, out of the shadow, this little mini person jumps out, and it's Maya, and she says, Daddy, and I'm like, whoa, freaked me out for a moment, and she says, hey, can I talk? And I'm like, it's 10.30 at night, and she says, uh, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. She said, I can't sleep. I've tried two or three times. I said, why can't you sleep, sweetie? She said, well, I got into a fight, and then she told me about a fight that she got into with one of the siblings throughout the day. And then she says, and I did wrong, and I feel really, really bad, and I can't sleep. So I tuck her in. I take her to, the, to, to lay her down, and we pray. And I say, did you ask for forgiveness? And she says, no, I didn't. I didn't pray. And so I said, well, let's pray together. She's seven years old. And then she prays, and then she says, Dad, I feel better. Um, isn't it true, though, when we do something wrong, and there's some level of guilt, and God uses guilt to bring you towards repentance, isn't it true, though, that guilt can easily slide, slide into shame, and you feel really overwhelmed, really burdened, and you can't sleep, you can't eat very well, whatever goes on. It physically messes with your body. Um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. One of the most interesting stories is the story of Jesus and the story of the woman at the well. And I just thought, I, would wa I just wanted to Google kind of church art history. So what does this scene look like? This is a little interesting to me because Jesus is totally Middle Eastern and they portray him as white as white can be. And um, he's ethnically Jew, but they, they make him look very interesting. So this is like some ancient art right here. And I, I thought about that. I looked at that and I was like, my first thought was like, Jesus is like the woman at the well. He's, he's like, are you holding that on your head or be careful there? And then the disciples are like, is Jesus magically making it hold on her head? You know, this next picture you'll see, um, there's Jesus and he's like pointing and you know, I mean, it's like, I know if you're artistic, I'm offending you right now, but uh, the disciples are in the back and I'm thinking like, they're like, there's a fly on her shoulder. <laughs> so th then this next picture we see, and Jesus is like, I saw that picture seriously and I thought, that guy looks a little bit like me. <laughs> but he's like a redheaded version with long hippie hair. So, I, you know, but they look at, look at this woman at the well she looks like her like, sh shirt is down a little bit, and 
there's been this historical presumption that she's kind of this loose woman and she's got this crazy, tragic, uh, wild past. And today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the scriptures and look at this incredible conversation that Jesus has. And in your Bible, go ahead and turn now if you're not already there. If you don't have one, we got it up on the screen. What I want to show you is in your Bible, there's probably a lot of red letters. FYI, that's Jesus talking. So a lot of red letters mean that's they're capturing the authors, uh, the uh, Editors are trying to capture what Jesus said. Again, I find this one of the most fascinating and the most wonderful um, pictures of ministry of Jesus ministering to a woman. So here we go. Jesus is on the road again in verses one through six. If you're a note taker and outline maker, you'll probably like this message. Lots of blanks. But Jesus is on the road again. Uh, Willie Nelson's playing the song and he's moving and grooving. So uh, it's the Holy Land. There's about a 120-mile stretch that Jesus did a lot of his ministry. If you've ever been there before, or the Mediterranean Sea is on one side. The sea of, sea of Galilee is up in Galilee. And Jesus is declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He's powerfully working. He's a, he's a, he's a big attraction. And here's what happens. The, the gospel writer records kind of the life and the events of Jesus says in verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through uh, Samaria. So a couple of things there is Jesus kind of got tired of the hype and the fame, and everybody's like, John's better than Jesus. Jesus is like, you know what? We're on the same team. I don't care. I'm getting out of the political uh, comparison game. I I just want to do ministry. And so, but it says there that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, let me do a little geography lesson for you just for a moment. So in the Holy Land, in the north, you have Galilee, okay? Okay. And then in the south, you have Jerusalem or Judea. But right there in the middle is this place called Samaria. And each of those regions in the Holy Land area um, is got their own ethnic particulars, their own religious particulars. And in the north in Galilee, you would have the Jews in the Samaria, which would have been called the uh, Gentiles. And there's these ethnic and religious clashes that I'll get to in a minute. And then in Jerusalem, that's the place of all places. It's where the temple was. And so what we're going to see here is that Jesus, the scripture says, I like this. Look what it says in the passage again, going back to verses one through three or one through six. It says that he had to pass through Samaria. Technically, let me just say this geography. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. He didn't have to pass through there. Because he could, many people went through uh, Pereira, like this other uh, place and skirted Samaria. But. John includes that, and I think because he's indicating there was this divine mission that Jesus had. He wants to go and alleviate some level of pain, some level of problem, some level of guilt or shame, and he's going to minister to this woman at a well. So here's what we have is we have this storyline where it says that he had to pass through there, and then picking up in in verse 5, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. This is long patriarchal, awesome, holy site history. Verse six, Jacob's well was there. 
And so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Um, that hour would have been in our time frame about 12 p.m. It's noon, it's hot, and Jesus is tired. He's going to take a break. He sits beside the well. Jacob's well was a, a holy site. It was a place to see, a place to, today you could go there and archaeologists and historians would say, this is what we believe to be Jacob's well. And Jesus is there. And, you know, it's interesting. The well was the place where everybody would come together and talk. If you were a, a young mom, you'd come in the early morning and you were strong, so you'd carry this big water jar on your shoulders and you had to be strong to do this kind of stuff. You'd walk about a mile out and go to this well. and It was this awesome well. And you'd, you'd just talk. Hey, how's the kids? How's the family? How's your husband? And Jesus stops by and he's hanging out there. It's like the local coffee shop. It's where you catch up. It's where you talk. And so here's what he's doing. He's there. The gospel writer records this. And then we're going to see Jesus break some incredible religious and social customs. Verses 7 through 9. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Okay, there's two strikes right there already. One is she's a woman. And two, she's from Samaria. Women didn't have a voice. Women couldn't vote. Women didn't have any rights. And she's from Samaria. There's, she's going to indicate there's all sorts of problems already. But she came to draw water. Jesus said to her, he speaks up. He, he initiates conversation. He says, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8. And there's this, this commentary from John. He says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is alone. He's with this woman. I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, how many disciples does it take to go get some food? Like, send one or two. But it, the disciples, it takes 12 of them to go get a snack pack for Jesus, you know. So John lets us know that. Thank you, John. Okay, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it? Look at her. Highlight this religious and social customs norms breaking. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a, for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let me just pause right there and help you walk you through this history. See, there had been this long-running conflict between Jews and Samaritans. So when you think of the good Samaritan, that's like an, an American idiom these days. Like, oh, he's a good Samaritan. Well, back then, it's no cool idiom. It's like bad. So the Jews and the Samaritans had this long-standing battle for religious rights and, and, and kind of social customs. See, Samaria had been the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel during the period of the divided kingdoms. For those of you that I just went way over your head, just hang with me just for a moment. But in 721 BC, Assyria comes into Israel. This is 700 and plus years before the time of Christ. Assyria, another uh, nation, comes in conquers Israel, goes into Samaria and takes a ton of their people and takes them back into Assyria and holds them captive. And then what to make matters worse is, is some of the people um, build this wonderful temple uh, the, that they call for, for the Samaritan people. And it's kind of intertwined with the Syrian religious faith and the old Jewish practice of faith. And there's intermingling, this watering down the country's frustrated and fractured. And so here's what we have is eventually many of the people from Assyria come back into Samaria and try to repopulate. 
And meanwhile, there was a group of people that had stayed there during this whole destruction and chaos, and they're frustrated too. The, 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 the cultural landscape has changed. Now there's Samaritans and Jews, and, and, and meanwhile, Assyria brought all their religion, all their witchcraft, all their paganism, all that stuff, and it diluted and deteriorated the nation of Israel. And so the Samaritans are these people that they want to be called historical Jews. And the Jews are like, no, you're not. You totally got a wicked past. You're not our kind of people. During Jesus's day, the Jews thought that the people who lived in Samaria were not true descendants of the great Jewish ancestors and that their religion was not true Judaism, but it was a mixture of a bunch of beliefs. So you're like, okay, so what does that mean? How would you break that down for us? Okay, I did this in the first service. I'll try it in the second. Imagine Canada, okay? The Great Recession. You remember that? The Great Recession. What did the Canadians do? They moved in and they bought up a bunch of our houses. You're like, we did. Yeah, we did. So that's what happened. The Canadians came in and they, some analysts say that they saved the housing crisis. Okay, fine. They saved the housing crisis. Okay, so they come in, they buy a bunch of houses, they hold it, but what if, imagine the Canadians came in, and if you're Canadian, I'm about to offend you. <laughs> imagine the Canadians come in, and they're like, you know what, we don't want their houses, we want their homes. We want the families. We want the people. We need a stronger workforce in Canada. They take, so let's say, two-thirds of this room here today. They capture you, and they take you to Canada. Now you're a Canadian captive. You're stuck in Canada, you know, and you're like, get me out of here. And meanwhile, Canada has this crazy idea, and they're like, let's send down a bunch of our wicked Canadian people to go in there and bring a new education system, a new religious belief system, and let's pump Phoenix full of Canadians. And Phoenix, the rest of us that were stuck here are like, who are these people? Why are they here? Get them out of here. We hate these Canadians. And then meanwhile, it's like they're setting up churches and things are going on. And like, if you were a part of the family and your family was torn apart and you go to a church service and it's like this Canadian guy, you're like, no, get out of here. There's this religious tension, social tension going on. And so what we see here is these Samaritans are the people that compromised. They were the people that were They've been exiled, they were captive, and then they came back down, and now they just want to do life together. And the Jewish people are like, no, 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 that didn't go well. We have a bad past together. And so what we see here is that there's not only that, but there's this, he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And let's go a little further. Jesus teaches about living water. Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, you know, he showed up at the well. He didn't have anything to get any water with and he talks to her about it. And then he has this conversation with, with her and basically he's trying to teach him about water. He takes what's physical and helps us understand the spiritual. And the woman said to him, sir, very nice thing to say, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So the well is deep and she's confused too. Why in the world is Jesus having this conversation with her? She's a Samaritan. 
I mean, for Jesus to ask this woman for something to drink would have been like this. I mean, I'm from, my, my, I grew up most of my life in Little Rock, Arkansas, very racist communities there. My high school was a disaster. There's gang members and African-Americans, and then there's the Klan. Seriously, in high school, you could, pay, you could go to a Klan rally for 15 bucks in Harrison, Arkansas. By the way, that's the KKK capital of the world. And Hull High School was the first high school in the country that had integration. So my school was a disaster. And back then, you can remember the social riots where we had black water fountains, white water fountains. We had buses where the white people sat and then the black people sat. And this is the level that you need to read into the text between the Jews and the Samaritans. Hatred, racism. And Jesus is going to come and say, the gospel is so much broader than one ethnic group. It's for all people. The good news. So he had to go to Samaria, I think, to lay down a foundation about this living water. She asked the question in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's got some knowledge. She's actually fairly theologically astute. Like she has some understanding of the scriptures. But they don't have a full knowledge of the scriptures because the Samaritans actually only accepted in the Old Testament the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And everything else they kind of tossed. But she has some, are you greater than the father, our father Jacob, she asked. It's a great question. He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. It's a holy site. And then verse 13, and Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a reference to John chapter 7, verses 38 through 39, when Jesus talks about when, when you receive him, that there's a well of a river flowing in the life of an individual to indicate spiritual life. It's a, it's a foreshadowing of the work of the Holy Spirit. And verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me, give me this water. I want that, that's what she says, uh, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Just a note, she didn't want to go there. 12 o'clock's hot. She, she was tired of being the laughingstock. She's tired of being the... Uh, the subject of gossip and the source of God, go, uh, gossip. She's tired of it. She's been talked about. She's got a bad past. She goes at noon because she doesn't want to go in the morning. But she's like, Jesus, if you've got something for me that I don't understand, then tell me. And so we pick up and notice that she called him sir. And then we pick up in verse 16. Jesus gets to the real issue. I love this. Jesus said to her, this is where he gets deep. He says, woman, Jesus said to her, go, he says, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And now the one you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So she has been married five times she, we don't know if she was divorced or maybe her husband's died. I mean, she'd have to be pretty old if her husband's, that many of them died. It's like, what is in that water? You know, but the scripture doesn't say, but 
What I will say is she's asking a lot of great questions and then Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Do you know what I think the heart of the issue is? I think that she's valued in worship uh, relationships rather than her faith, Jesus. I think she valued, she gave everything she had just to be accepted, to be loved, to be affirmed, and she found dead ends in every one of those guys. And Jesus is going, your real problem is that you worship people, not God. Look what he says, and look what she says. And she, she says in verse 19 through 20, the woman wants to talk about worship. Verse 19, the woman said to her, sir, and I take that as a kind, correct conversation, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You're like, wait, I thought we were talking about husbands and like marriage and all that. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she wants to talk about worship. Why? Because she knows She's been worshiping the wrong thing. She hasn't been worshiping God. She's been worshiping relationships. At first, as I've studied this in all the years past, I've thought she's just changing the subject. She got confronted. Now she's changing the subject. But I think that's reading something that's into the text that's really not there. Let's look a little further. Verse 21, Jesus talks to her about true worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And that is from the Jews in the sense of it is from Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. And I think what she was asking was, where do I worship? Because there was a temple in Samaria, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And what do you do at the temple back then? You figure out how to atone for sin. I think she wanted to deal with her sin. I think that she was asking a genuine question. Where do I, it'd be like this. Where do I go to church? Do I go to the Nazarene church? Do I go to the Baptist church? Do I go to the Pentecostal church? I just want to worship. I think she is overwhelmed. She feels the love of God because she's never maybe had a conversation with a guy that didn't want to take advantage of her. Now Jesus is talking to her like an intelligent woman and engaging in the longest conversation ever recorded in our Bible, and she's holding her own. She's voicing what she believes, what she understands. Yeah, did she get, did she get called out and caught? Yes, yeah, she did. But she wants to talk about worship, not as some diversion, but to get to the heart of the issue. This is in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is indicating a new covenant, a church age, in which the Holy Spirit will reside within the believer and become, they become the living temple of God. And it's not where you worship, it's who you worship. And there is some confusion and clarity. Verse 25 through 27, the woman said to him, I know, look, she's gone from sir to prophet. Now she's talking about Messiah. She says, I, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He, he is called Christ. See, in the Samaritan idea, it was like, a, again, a break off of intermingling of, of a Jewish faith with all sorts of other crazy, whacked out ideas. 
but they had a perception that the Messiah was going to be this prophet-like figure greater than Moses. And so she says, I, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. And then she says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And look what Jesus said, verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Like, dropped a mic. Okay, Jesus doesn't do that normally. Normally, he says, I'm the son of man. Here to a Samaritan woman, he says, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't do it oftentimes with the Jewish folks and the, and the Pharisees because that would escalate political uh, and religious tensions. But with her, he's just going to tell her straight out. So he says, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, just then, all of a sudden, you know, John records, and his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Why is that? Because they know. I mean, this is Jesus. Like, he speaks red letter. Like, this is God. Don't mess with him. He's breaking all the social customs, breaking all the religious customs. But then, see, look at the life of the woman, the woman's witness, what we see in verse 28 and 29. I, I love this storyline. I've never, I've never actually taught through this before. And when I studied it, I was just like, man, I just wanted to be there another 10, 10 hours. I was like, this is incredible. Like, watch this. So the woman left, the woman's witness, the, the woman left her water jar and then went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And she asked this great question. Can this be the Christ? A couple of things to notice here is that she left her water jar. I think the apostle John wanted to note that because it's like when Jesus moves in and, and recruits disciples and talks to disciples, like you think of the fishermen. Jesus says, come follow me. And they leave their fishing nets. Or you think about the tax collectors. He came up and talked to them and they leave their tax collection table. She's all in, guys. This is a picture of the ministry of Jesus that far exceeds any ethnic group of just Jewish people, but all people. It's not just a male-centered ministry Jesus has. It's for all people. The gospel's for all people. And he goes to the greatest lengths to minister and the woman is motivated by this. And she says to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She asked that question because if she said he was the Christ, like she could be further interrogated or outcast or whatever. She's already got a stigma as an outcast in the community. So she asked a very intelligent question. Verses 30 through 38, I don't have time to, to walk through those, but basically what you see there is the disciples talk to him about that lunch. Hey, we went out and got you lunch. Do you want your snack pack? And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not hungry anymore. He lost his appetite, and he basically says, my food is to do the work of the Father. And then we see the response in verse 39. You see many Samaritans that had heard this woman's story, look what it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She was a witness. She witnessed what Jesus had done. She hears this good news. And by the way, listen, this, the storyline that we've captured here, it's like the cliff notes. 
The conversation probably was an hour to two hours long. And what the apostle John, perhaps he interviewed this woman at the well and got her testimony. But what we've got recorded is that Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She's a witness. He told me all that I ever did. Samaritans believing here shows Jesus' ministry is not exclusive for Jewish people. It's inclusive for all people. He goes far out of his way. For God so loved the what? The world. And then we see in verse 40 through 42 that many more believe. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. So this ministry is just continuing to move forward. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So a woman at the well, sketchy past, is ministered to by Jesus. He says, can I have a drink? Can I, can I spend time with you? Which would have broken all sorts of social and religious customs and norms. She, through the conversation about what true worship is, she, through the conversation with Jesus about what living water is all about, she becomes a believer, she goes out, she shares the gospel, and many people believe, concluding this is the savior of the world. Revelation 7, 9 says that there'll be a great gathering that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will bow before our King Jesus. So what do we learn from this? How do we learn to let go maybe of past guilt or shame I just like to say this phrase, it's on your program there, is what we need to realize is sometimes our past will be Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. For this woman, she so experienced the grace of God and was honored by his presence that she goes out and she's going to witness. And many people are going to believe your past will either be Satan's greatest weapon against you or God's greatest tool through you. Step one, how do we do this? Step one, you own it and you accept it. Whatever's happened in your past, you just own it and accept it. You can't change the past. I don't know what's happened in your life, but I do know this, you don't need to bury it. You don't need to blame others for your problem or for the big bad choice you made or the lifestyle that got you in trouble or the things that happened to you and you can't play the victim card. This woman learned to move on. She didn't blame everybody else. But what do you need to own? You need to own the problem. You need to own the process. Stepping out of guilt and shame is a process. Healing from the past hurts is a process. And guess what? There's people involved. Maybe you need to mend with people. And you've got to own the process and accept it. Sometimes in life, you're greatly wronged. People violate against you. There's great injustice in the world. The world is fractured and broken. There's a virus that has entered into our world called sin. Maybe you've been wronged. Somebody violated you. Somebody hurt you. 
Maybe there was an affair. Maybe you've been talked about, gossiped about, and you've been in, maybe you feel like in some weird, twisted way, you feel like you're the reason as to why this person did it. In other words, you're saying, well, if I wouldn't have been like this, then they wouldn't have done that to me. There's a level of distorted guilt and shame that is in our world today, and I'm calling you to just own the problem, own the process as much as you can. Maybe somebody, maybe you did wrong. Maybe you've got a secret addiction. Maybe you crossed the line and stepped into a relationship that's more like an affair and committed adultery. What do you need to do? You own it. You accept it. And you say, you know what? I'm going to turn towards Jesus. I'm going to repent from my sin. I'm going to walk through this process. I want to get healing. I want to get help. I want to experience hope again in my life. Or maybe something just terribly went wrong. Maybe there was a car crash. Maybe there was some, somebody died that you wish didn't die. And you're angry and you're frustrated. In some weird way, you feel like maybe if you were there or maybe if things were different, maybe it wouldn't have happened and you carry a, a level of guilt and shame. So what do we need to do? We need to own it, the problem, the process, and the people. And step two, I want to challenge you, do not be defined by it. Don't let your past define you. If you review it over and over and over and over again, you'll just keep reliving it. And you'll have no remedy to your, your, your problems of the past. I've heard it said before, like when you speak it out loud and you say the same thing over and over again, I've talk to people that have walked through terrible situations with addiction and they go in and they try to describe some of the challenges that they've gone in great detail and I just say, stop. You're just gonna relive all that and mount up on your shoulders a higher level of shame. Have you asked for forgiveness for that? Yeah, I have, then leave it there, man. Move forward. Quit reliving that. If you review it over and over again, you'll relive it and then Secondly, is in this step, is trust that God can use your past for his purposes. Let me just expound on this just for a moment. The woman at the well, I think she got that. She trusted that God in this crazy narrative of her life is going to use this train wreck life for a great and grandioso purpose. See, in church history, the woman's name is Fotina. And the legend goes that she earned such a reputation for being an evangelist and winning people to Christ that Nero, the emperor of Rome, once he outlawed Christianity, goes and captures her and her family and puts her to death. She dies a martyr for her faith. February 26 is the time in the Eastern Orthodox Christian faith is when they they celebrate her life and legacy. This woman at the well, we've seen before, and maybe some of us have labeled her just some kind of outcast, some kind of woman. Yes, she, we don't know exactly all the details there, but what we do know is what the scripture tells us is that in villages come to faith in Christ and call Jesus savior of the world. My point in saying this is, would you trust God that he could use your past for his greater purposes? as messed up as it could be. See, what happened to her is she experienced God's grace so powerfully that she had to get the good news of Jesus out. She would be saying things like this. Hey, listen, you've got it wrong. 
the gospel's not just for the Jews. It's from the Jews. It's through Jesus for everybody. Or, hey, you don't have to live in that guilt and that shame anymore. Who's called you unworthy? Who said you're unlovable? Who said you're, un, you're unforgivable? Jesus forgives all. So her message became so powerful. Why? I think because she said, I'm not going to be defined by my past. I'm going to trust that God's going to use my past for his greater purposes so much that she's going to die a martyr's death. Step three, I want to challenge you, just forgive and take the next step. I want to invite the worship team up, and we're going to have communion together. But I want to challenge you to forgive and take the next step forward. I, I pray this is the most important thing you could do with any level of guilt or shame that you have. You feel unworthy. You feel unlovable. You feel like maybe you couldn't be forgiven for something. What you need more than anything I've said today is you need to experience from God that forgiveness. Psychologists will say, even secular psychologists will say, is the most transforming experience people can have to walk out of guilt and shame is a supernatural experience. I pray that you would experience God's supernatural, unending, incredible love. Jesus takes the sin and he put it on the cross. All that woman's sin was put to the cross ahead of time. He knew what he came to do. He came to seek. He came to save the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now, Father, that not only would we experience your forgiveness, but we would extend it to ourselves and to others. I pray in this time in closing, as we take communion, Lord, we would just be uh, maybe more confident that we can come to you and find freedom and healing and hope because of the pages of Scripture we see the clarity of our God, you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.